0: Shop now in store or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone.
2: Don't mind us; we're playing through. Here's Froggy and Wacker. Welcome to another edition of the Playing Through podcast. It is Froggy from Elvis on the morning show, along with Ryan Wacker from Golf Digest. You can find us anytime on Instagram at Playing Through podcast or at Froggy Radio are at Brian Wacker One. Wow, do we have a ton to talk about, Brian? How are you? I'm good. Uh, yeah, we yeah. do. Uh,
0: man, it's been, it's been a while. We've had a podcast. action. There's a lot going on, a lot coming up, a lot to get into. We've got Brown uh, Faction joining us this week. Um, and uh, of course, I just got back from Bahamas a couple weeks ago. and Devastation uh, there, Hurricane Dorian, and if we're going to talk about that and some things that are happening down there. Uh, and a lot of, in terms of golf, another season. This uh, the PGA Tour. Is, uh, we're already a few weeks into the new season, uh, and we've got some great storylines already. But it's, so we had uh, what I think about 12 days of an off season. Uh, from the PGA Tour, but back at it, I and mean, good storyline so far. So it's uh, it's been a busy, uh, busy few weeks
2: here. Yeah, I mean, we really have had a lot going on. And you, you sound like my wife the other day when the season ended and then a week and a half later it started up. She's like, this is the shortest off season I've ever heard of. How did golf already end and now it's already restarted? And that's, that's exactly, to me, it's one of the beauties about our sport is that there is not a lot of offseason. Really?
0: really? So, do you? Do Because you, you're the fan, right? You're yes. I I covered a lot. Look, I'm the I'm the fan, but but I also cover the sports, zone so around it a lot. Um, I'm curious from the fan's perspective because I do hear from a lot of people that it's sometimes you know it it is a lot that and you see it in other sports. They have longer off seasons um, where it you know you take that break and it causes people to miss the sport and, and generate more no. interest than in it. No, you, you want golf every week and yeah. you, you want, and you have it almost every week, by the way. I mean, I spend, for much. example,
2: I'm a huge football fan. I love college ball. I love pro ball. I spend the off season of college ball following recruiting. And we always end up talking about how good is your team going to be? And I, I'm a big Gator fan. I can't wait to watch the orange and blue game, which is really your two teams playing each other. I mean, I j- we take any semblance of football we can get I mean, we are so football hungry that there are spinoff leagues that I spend my time watching. I watch Steve Spurrier or whatever whatever league, he, the AAFL or whatever it was. I just, I want football. And so for golf,
0: But there yeah. is an offseason. But there is, and I'll, and I'll give you the numbers. The NFL has the longest offseason here from last year. Here are the numbers. The NFL offseason, 213 days. Major League Baseball. 156 NBA, 136 NHL, 117. Even tennis, which is probably the closest thing to golf in terms of a worldwide uh, sort of year-round schedule, if you will, uh, the ATP tour offseason 47 days, PGA tour offseason this past year 17 days.
2: Yeah, you don't. So, so you're okay with it? Okay, I do. Well, I yeah. love the fact that Great. there's always now. I will say, to me, I. I know it's the wraparound schedule. I feel like this season really starts. Like, I know we're going to get a good event coming up here. We've got the CJ Cup, uh, Nine Bridges, which will get a good field. The, um, excuse me, the Houston Open also now moved to the fall uh, season. So I know we are, but to me, the season really starts. We get a little taste of it at the Hero. Then we'll get the President's Cup. Then there's a little bit of a short time off. And then, boom, Tournament of Champions in January. To me, that really kicks it off. But I enjoy being able to turn on the TV on a Thursday afternoon, a Friday afternoon, a Saturday, and a Sunday, and still see golf this time of year. Okay. Fair enough. I do. I (laughs) I enjoy it. So we are three weeks in. Uh, Great story coming out of the tournament that we just got a winner, the Safeway Open uh, in uh, Napa, California. Cameron Champ, his second PGA Tour win. However, an extremely emotional victory for Cameron this past week.
0: It was, and you could see that emotion pouring out uh, and literally pouring out of him with tears after uh, his second career victory coming just over a year after his first. And um, it was great to see. Like, I've gotten to know Cameron a little bit. He's coach Sean Foley I've known for a long time. And this is a kid, for those that don't know the backstory, um, which I'm sure most people at this point do, his grandfather, who is... Really, the guy, uh, the impetus, he he was the impetus for Cameron getting involved in playing golf. Uh, He's the one that taught Cameron the game. Uh, He's suffering from stage four uh, stomach cancer and is in hospice care at home now back in Sacramento. Um, Cameron was actually commuting back and forth from there to the golf tournament all week so he could spend as much time uh, with his grandfather as possible. And, you know, this is a guy who... Um, was a former airman, um, you know, overcame things like racism, um, taught Cameron the game. And it, it's, it's, you know, we sometimes forget these guys are human. These players are human. And uh, we saw that on, um, on Sunday with Cameron's victory, breaking down in tears. And really cool moment. You know, I told you this before we came on to tape the podcast, is that there's this great photograph of Cameron embracing with his dad, but also his dad holding the cell phone uh, with his grandfather, Mac, on the on the line, able to enjoy the moment and to know that his, his grandson, Cameron, is headed to the Masters for the first time in April. Of course, when he won the, the uh, Sanderson Farms a year ago, uh, that did not get him into the field for Augusta, uh, but he will be headed to the Masters. And so just a really cool moment and, uh, you know, an incredibly close family and, and a great moment for them to be able to share in obviously a tough situation.
2: I mean, a really, really good story, like you said. And to see him win, get a second victory under his belt, he's now not just a one-time winner. I had watched. He had been playing pretty well leading up. You could see his game. It's really started to progress. He was playing better. So to see him get a second victory is great. Congratulations to Cameron Champ. And speaking of emotional stories, um, a story that's tend to have... You know, it really becomes the norm. It's the the headline, and then it fades from the headlines, and we all forget about it. The unbelievable story that's going on in the Bahamas right now. And I know that you had a first hand look at the devastation um, created by Hurricane Dorian that hit the Bahamas in very early September. Uh, it's been, I believe, three or four weeks ago now. And so you were there, you saw it firsthand. I, I, I mean, I. I was in the area that was ravaged by Hurricane Katrina in uh, New Orleans and in Biloxi, Mississippi right after that had happened. And I always had a hard time putting into words exactly what I had seen, but I never forgot, and I'm going to say this, and it's probably going to ring very true to you, I never forgot that smell. The smell of after the storm passes and the entire city smells. You never get that out of your... out of your mind. And so I know you had that in the Bahamas explain to us what you saw and exactly what is going on in the Bahamas right now.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, devastation, as you mentioned, um, I had a chance to go down there. Part of the story, um, sort of twofold. It, 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 came about because, um, I have some friends here in Miami who were flying some relief supply, uh, some supplies down, uh, to the Bahamas. And, uh, through them, was able to get connected with a group uh, called the Flying Classroom. Really cool story. Um, it's, a, it's a kindergarten through eighth grade integrated STEM supplemental curriculum program. And one of the people involved with it is a pilot by the name of Barrington Irving, who is uh, the youngest person to have flown solo around the world um, in a single engine plane and first black man to do so. Uh, did so at age 23. This is a kid who, Froggy, you'll appreciate this. This was a kid who was on, uh, had a scholarship offer, grew up in Miami, played football, had a scholarship offer to go to UF to play for the Gators. Nice. He was a fullback and uh, had this chance meeting with an airline pilot. And the next, uh, you know, long story short, I was sort of enamored by by that and turned his attention to aviation and now has become this incredible pilot and through some of the work he has done, he was able to fly some relief supplies directly into the Abacos and into the Bahamas. Um, so I'd hooked up with that group. Uh, we also brought along a great photographer, Don Ferro, to document it as well. And so we flew some relief supplies down there, but then also spent a few days, uh, on the Island, you know, to see really what was happening. And, and to your point, um, you know, the devastation is – I've said this a couple of times in pieces I've written for Golf Digest. And, um, you know, to me, it really was like stepping into one of those um, movies that you see that's, you know, an end-of-the-world scenario, except it's real, except you're actually there. And to your point, the smell of death, um, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to stomach. Quite it constantly, is. People not, don't it, understand
2: that de- you know you you see the images and you see the, the yeah. drone footage and the helicopters and you you see the pictures, but to understand that it literally wipes a portion of the world off the map. I mean, it is gone. And you think, you know, when it happens here in the United States, where we are, we have got a lot of different ways to clean up and a lot of different. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got a lot more. infrastructure Infrastructure, in order to to get stuff moving and get stuff cleaned up and to move forward. I mean, you think about when you see these images coming out of Marsh Harbor and and in in the neighborhood that's called the mud, where do you even get the trucks to clean up? Where do you take Hmm. the stuff to clean it? They're just going to have to burn it. They're going to have to do control burns and just incinerate this stuff and start over with from zero, from nothing. there is, And you're talking about, you know, a lot of times these other countries see terrible storms. It's because the building codes are are, are, are not what our building codes are, whether it's in Dade County, which you always hear. uh, It's got Dade County building codes, which were enacted after Hurricane Andrew destroyed so much in 1991. It changed the building codes in the United States, and we got a lot better. But the Bahamas... Many of these buildings are built out of solid concrete, and it destroyed them because it sat there for days over them and just a Category 5 storm, the slowest-moving Category 5 storm in the history of records that have been kept of storms. It destroyed solid concrete buildings.
0: Yeah, I mean, it. it's like walking through, uh, you know, a bombed-out uh, war, area of war, or... Uh, You know, it's like imagining a thousand tornadoes, um, you know, sweeping across the islands. And uh, now, of course, the the Bahamas is a big, you know, there are a lot of islands, um, you know, 700 islands, I I think, total, but in in dozens of islands that are inhabited. Um, And many of them went unaffected, of course. Uh, Nassau, uh, where later this year you mentioned the Hero World Challenge, um, will be played. That island was basically unaffected, um, you know, other than a little bit of wind and rain. They, you know, they're about 100 miles, I think, to the south, if my geography is correct, and so they went largely unaffected. That tournament will go on. Um, there's a Web.com event on on uh, Great uh, Great Abaco. Uh, the golf course uh, where that is played was affected for sure. Uh, roofs are ripped off houses were down there's flooding damage it was very messy but uh, nowhere near the widespread uh, destruction or, or the, the devastation that was uh, that hit other parts of that that same island about 50 or 60 miles away so um, you mentioned marsh harbor and you mentioned um, those areas uh, you know even parts of freeport um, were hit, hit pretty hard so um, there's just so so much damage and um it's hard to fathom uh, you know to your point we see it all the time on TV um, and then everyone sorts sort of tends to move on or a lot of people tend to move on from it right and you know if th- that storm as you know froggy that was projected at one point to maybe hit south Florida or potentially up where you are in Jacksonville right um you know we were fortunate but even still you know had that storm hit here sure it would have been catastrophic but there's a lot of infrastructure in place to be able to sort of handle it. You can evacuate people easier, all sorts of things. Um, it's a different ball game down in the Bahamas. And it's, yeah. it's going to be years before it's rebuilt, um, which, and, and there's a big connection to the Bahamas with the golf community. So that's why a lot of people, you know, look, golf is is not even secondary at this point. It's, it's down way down the list in terms of priority, but um, there's, Let's face it, there's a lot of money in golf, a lot of people who have the ability to help people in golf. And those people need that help um, more than ever. You're talking about lives that were destroyed, jobs that were destroyed. You know, a lot of the golf clubs and golf courses on those islands, um, the employees are all locals. They come from those hard hit areas of the Bahamas. So um, that's, you know, why you're seeing uh, this outpouring of support. Uh, from people, and it's going. that support is going to be needed for months and months and months.
2: Right, so that brings us to why, as you said at the top of the podcast, we're speaking to Brad Faxon today because a bunch of people have gotten together and they're putting together a pro-am, and there's going to be a golf tournament. We'll talk to Brad and figure out exactly how we can help, what's being done to help, and what exactly are we going to do to get the Bahamas back on their feet? Because let's be honest, anybody who lives for example, in Florida, we vacation in the Bahamas all the time. It's so easy to get to the Bahamas. These people need our help. They're there for us when we want to go on vacation, so now we need to do our part. So let's talk to Brad and see exactly what's going on in the Bahamas, all about the Pro-Am, and plus we've got other questions for him as well. Uh, Brad, thanks so much for taking the time to join us here on the podcast.
1: Uh, thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's It's been a whirlwind these last weeks getting this thing organized but we've had so much support i mean there's so many people down here in florida players amateur golfers that spend time in the bahamas recreationally fishing golfing uh and the support after the destruction from dorian has been it's it's mind-boggling really
2: so the pro am is october 8th at old marsh in palm beach uh the list of names i have so far i'm sure there are, are, are many more playing i've got justin thomas uh, Jack Nicholas, Ernie Els, Greg Norman, Lucas Glover, Billy Horschel, of course, Brad Faxon, Charles Schwartzel, uh, Jessica uh, Cora, uh, Corda. There are so many people playing. Is it something that fans can come out and watch and be a part of? Well, we're, we're
1: trying to limit it to to really just the membership at Old Marshall. Marshall's donated the golf course, which is a huge gesture on their part. And we, we don't want this to be uh, work. I mean, I think we could probably open it up to the public and, and charge a lot of money, but I we're not there yet. It, we're, there's too much stuff that we have to go get involved with that, as far as finding parking, transportation. So it's it's not going to be open to the public. But we have we have more players. We just got Joaquin Meenan who won a couple weeks ago nice. to say to us. Oh, so wow. Marina Alex, who was also a member of the Solheim Cup, is playing. Jay Green, who was in the final group of the U.S. Women's Open this year, Country Club of Charleston. Um, and, and to have you know, like a Nicholas and Norman, be one of our first two um, players to say yes. Uh, it, it just shows how uh, appreciative they are of the efforts to help, uh, you know, a really difficult cause.
0: You mentioned, um, you know, some of the names. I mean, there's there's a real outpouring support. You know, Justin Thomas, of course, we've seen the adventures uh, he and Ricky Fowler and a lot of others have had down there at Baker's Bay, which I know was also impacted, but is also, um, you know, Baker's can rebuild and, and so forth. But their big missions right now is trying to help, all the people on the island who are displaced, who lost their homes, uh, their lives were basically destroyed. Um, you know, you and I have talked uh, a couple of times in the past few weeks, just in terms of the level of destruction down there. It's really hard to wrap your head around until you actually see it, smell it, feel it. And, and there's been a there, there's a real connection. Uh, we've got a piece coming out in Golf Digest, in the next issue, in the November issue. There's a real connection, as you mentioned, between south florida and the bahamas not just um sort of casually but but on the on the golf side you know there's there's a lot of common bonds there uh, obviously the warm weather and and uh the sort of lifestyle laid back lifestyle and of course the the hard working good natured people down in the bahamas who who have been integral to to places like baker's bay to other places on the island all the businesses that were destroyed all the homes that were destroyed this is going to make a real difference, and I know it's it's something that's close to you and, and to a lot of other players.
1: Well, Brian, first of all, your article that you wrote a week and a half or so ago for Golf Digest uh, really propelled our event to get some uh, amateur golfers to come forward and, and support our event, so we appreciate that. We're charging a lot of money to play, $10,000 for a foursome, in today's day and age this quickly uh, is incredible. We filled it out at um 24 groups. We're going to have 24 professionals. We're going to have an auction. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to put some live, uh, some auction items um, online. And, and we also um, have... W- what, what our money is going to, to do, it's going to the Abaco Rescue Fund. So you can go to abacorescuefund.org. Uh, there's a woman who was a, a member at Bakers Bay who's really spent a lot of time down in the, in the Bahamas in, in her life with her husband and, and four kids. And the place was decimated. If, if you look at what happened to Freehar- uh, Freeport, to Marsh Harbor, Guanacay, all those northern outside islands were, were destroyed. We're, we're the, the amount of loss of life has not been reported yet. It's going to be in the thousands. And one of the most difficult things kinda, for these people to do is to, to find temporary shelter. So Beth Warren, the, the founder here of the Abaco Rescue Fund, is, is really helping to provide shelter, whether it's temporarily here in the U.S. or to provide some tents and generators so people can live. But there's a cleanup that's going to be next to impossible to figure out. And then there's corruption down there in the governments. There's uh, piratism. There's uh, vandalism. There's looting by neighboring neighborhoods. And and there's there's really nothing these people have left in their lives. Everything was destroyed. So I think this is going to be a slow build. Uh, There's going to be difficulty working with the governments uh, to get temporary visas over here. I mean, it's very complicated. There's a lot of people trying to raise money in different ways, but we want this to go to immediate use to help the people because everybody wants to be back in the Bahamas and to have their lives back.
2: You know, it's unbelievable how much devastation can be caused by these storms. And I was saying earlier that the cleanup is the problem. They're just going to have to, once they do find uh, how many unfortunate deaths there were, I don't think there's really a cleanup process. It's more going to be push it in a pile and just incinerate it. There's really nowhere. They don't have the infrastructure like we have here in the States to clean up and to start over. And so that's why things like this are so, so important to help get this country back on their feet and get them moving forward again because it is going to take so long to get them back together. So everything that you guys are doing is extremely appreciated, Brad.
1: Well, and just the the simplicity of what we think would be able to burn uh, the remains of the the homes and buildings that are left and destroyed. Uh, The U.S. doesn't want the the pollution going in the way. There's chemicals that can get in the way and get in the air. So even that has to be more well thought out. So nothing's going to be easy to do uh, for these people. And. Right now, there's, you know, the feet that are on the ground over there, it, it can be dangerous, too. People um, that I know that have, have gone over there um, have had to bring sort of a mini army with, it, with them in, in certain areas. And, and, look, I want everybody to know that um, Seth Waugh and Justin Leonard, who kind of came up with this idea together because their connection to the Baker's Bay with Beth Warren, they reached out to me. Uh, I'm the local guy down here in, in South Florida. Um, with some experience in, in running some events and some fundraisers and, and know a lot of the pros and know a lot of the clubs and the amateurs around here um, what this group of people have done in this short a time frame is, is remarkable I mean the quality of this event um, that we'll do in, in practically four weeks from the, the time we play which is a week from today on October 8th uh, I don't I don't think that any group could do it as quickly as we have to raise this amount of money I just got um, a package today from Michael Jordan with a signed jersey on it. Um, we've had people reaching out from really all over the country with donations to the website um, that just know what we're doing. So your support is helping every time somebody hears about Bahamas Strong Pro-Am or Abaco Rescue Fund.org, uh We're getting a benefit from it.
2: Right. Once again, the website is bahamas Strongproam.com. Go up to the top. You can see the uh, thing to donate. It is a 501c3 class charity. So you are, it is, it, you know, it is something you can write off, but you do want to donate. It's Bahamasstrongproam.com.
0: Yeah, uh, just tremendous effort. Brad, one question I'd have is Are there, are, are you going to auction off any of your putters? Because as we know, you are one of the <laughs> best putters to ever play the game. So anything people can do to get their hands on a Brad Faxon putter would be amazing, or at least maybe some putting tips. Well, so This is all not funny. self-serving in any way, by the way. Uh, when you look at, at guys on tour today, who are your maybe two or three favorite putters to watch on tour and
1: why? You know, that's a great, that's a great question. We, we, we've seen, and you're talking about the current day players, I'm sure. Yeah, um, sure. What, what, I, what intrigues me so much about putting and playing with some of the best players in the world and putting with some of the best players in the world, Uh, talking to players like Tiger Woods or Rory McIlroy or Justin Thomas and and Jordan Steve, you know, trying to figure out what are the common denominators is something that I'm so curious about because you look at all the different styles that players use to putt. Well, Jack Nicholas was really crouched down, uh, as close to the ball as any great putter we've ever seen. Then you saw somebody more upright like Ben Crenshaw uh, and somebody looked more robotic, like Tiger Woods, uh, machine-like really. And, and then you have all these individual styles that are somewhere in between there, like, a, a you know, Jim Furyk who, who seemed to uh, change the style that he used a lot with, with the grip, the way he went cross-handed um, or left-hand low. The, um I get amazed by that. But, you know, we, we saw some record-breaking putting a few years ago by both Jason Day and Jordan Spieth. And, and oh. what makes that exciting to me is it's the combination of, of everything. It's really there's not one thing and people always want one thing. They want that one thing that you can put on a, in a jar and put it at CVS on the counter and people are going to go buy it. Um, but to me, that's why I like helping players and talking about players about putting because it's it's an entire package of of, you know, the equipment that you use, the, the way that you see, the way that you think, the way that you move, your routine, and then really how you think after you hit a putt, whether the putt goes in or whether the putt goes out, you've always got to respond uh, in some kind of positive way if you want to continue to be a great putter. So I, I love guys that have great attitudes. Um, I, I love guys that um, have putted well for a long period of time that sustain that. Um, and I love seeing guys that I've talked to and that I've maybe helped that have had career years on a putting green, like Rory McIlroy, like Patrick Cantley, um, w- with distinctly different styles. And, and you would, you would think that everybody would be teaching people the same things, and it, that's never going to happen. So I don't even know if I came close to answering that question.
2: No, you did, you did. But <laughs> you know, I want to ask you, and it's something you always see people doing. They'll, they'll you know, they'll watch an event and say. Uh, Dustin Johnson get gets hot with his new tailor-made Spider-X putter. So they're going to go, hey, I'm going to go buy a Spider-X putter. Will a new putter help a player, or is every putter different as to what type of putter they should be using, whether it's how the putter uh, sits at a dress, whether it's got a little bit of toe hang, whether it's face balanced, All of those things are something you need to get fitted and find out what fits you and your stroke. Is that correct? Definitely.
1: and and. I would probably be of the camp right now that the type of putter that you use is important. And, you know, you'll have some people say that, you know, if you take the putter and rotate it too much open and closed with a, with a putter with a lot of toe hanging, getting a face balanced putter will help eliminate that. And I think the research shows that it helps a little bit of it, but not a ton of it. But what, what to me, what happens when when somebody tries a new putter or a new grip, to use for a while. Those things allow the player to feel like they have some freedom and there's not handcuffs on them. Like, Oh, I'm trying this putter off. So it doesn't work. It doesn't matter. Cause I'm, I'm just, this is an experiment. And I think it's that brief change in attitude that really can help a player um, to putt better, almost immediately with a new putter. And and you, you've you seen it yourself. I bet you guys have gone on the range and you see a buddy that's got a nice club, a nice driver, a nice uh, you know wedge, and you hit a couple chip shots or you hit a couple drives, and his club always goes well, doesn't it? And you go, right. why does that happen? Because you swing it with you know that reckless abandon that you had when you were a kid, and then all of a sudden you go in the pro shop and you buy the exact same thing, but it doesn't work because it's yours. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I tend to look at stuff like that, too. I'm, I'm looking now at, at the, the list of guys that are great putters on the tour just statistically. And, and I look at a guy like, I don't know, Brant Snedeker uh, who has a unique style, kind of a pop stroke uh, that's putted well for a long time. Phil Nicholson's up there in, in putting stats. Um, and then some new young guys like this 17 year old Batia who just turned pro and he's way up there in the putting stats. And uh, you know, so you see 49 year old Phil Nicholson and, and, 17-year-old, i say Batia up there. Joaquin Neiman, who's playing at our event, he's one of the top players. And I don't know, these these guys just find a way to feel confident when they're over their putter. And it is very rarely do I hear a, a putter come and a, a player come and say, I'm thinking about so many things, it's really helped me. Right. Yeah, I don't hear that. Right.
0: Brad, one guy you mentioned, you know, in that conversation, Rory McIlroy, of course, his ups and downs at the putter have been well-documented, but he had probably, or, or, you know, at least statistically, I think his best season to date yet on tour. Now, look, he didn't win a major, but he still won a few times. Week in and week out, he was right there near the top of the leaderboard almost every time he, he teed it up. Curious your thoughts on the season he had. I know you've done some work with him on his putting, but just the improvements – um, you've seen with him the season he had versus a guy like Brooks Kepka, Of course, that was a hot debate in terms of player of the year. Uh, Rory, somewhat surprisingly, beating out uh, Brooks for that award. Both had unbelievable seasons. Brooks, of course, winning a major championship and finishing in the top four in the other three. What what uh, stood out to you about their two seasons? Well, they were they were both
1: incredibly good seasons, great seasons. You know, I, I the popularity among his peers and, in, in the fan mm-hmm. base, uh, that that was clearly what gave him an edge. And, and some people I've heard on radio shows, Michael Breed, they don't like it. They think it should be a more of a point system. Um, but, but I, I love the breakdown. Uh, Brandel Shanley gave uh, on golf channel of how this is player of the year. It's not player of the majors. It's, it's not just player for four weeks. And, mm-hmm. I think if if Rory McIlroy had had the year that Kepka won, McIlroy would have won the player of the year with Kepka's record because he's such a popular player. Um, And and Kepka, who, you know, with all due respect, has found a way to compete well in these major championships unlike many players have ever done uh, in this short a time frame. You know, he made a couple comments that I'm sure I would think that he would regret or I hope that he would regret when he showed up to the Canadian Open this year, he said, I'm just using this as practice for next week. Now, you think about that when the, the tournament director of the Canadian Open hears that or the fan base in all of Canada. They're like, wait a minute, sure. this is our national championship and it's a practice round? Um, I, players hear that. They, they see that. And, you know, McElroy did something this year statistically that's been unmatched by any other player in the history of golf except for Tiger Woods in his, his ball-striking tee to green um, in this, the amount of strokes gained he had. Uh, was better than anybody ever since the strokes game point system started in 2003. So he's done remarkably well from tee to green and, you know, his putting strokes gain for the year, he's 24th ranked uh, putting with those kind of numbers, tee to green. That's a hard combination to beat. Um, And he was clearly very consistent throughout the year. He was always seemed to be, um, if he didn't have a good start to the events, he had a great finish. Uh, had a chance to win many times. And I just think it's the beginning for Rory. I mean, he's got, he's 30, he's right in the prime of his career. Uh, and I, I know he's going to win majors again. I know he feels he's going to win more. So it's it's been fun to be around this guy because I, I think he's, he's our modern day Arnold Palmer, really. Uh, he's, you know, you look at Tiger and, and maybe Phil, and Phil's not playing to the top of his game. Rory McIlroy is what, who everybody comes to watch now.
2: Right. You know, Brad, you bring up Tiger, you bring up Rory, you bring up Majors. And I know that Paul Azinger is is well documented as saying that he believes that the Masters this past year was Tiger Swansong, that, that he climbed the mountain again, he won, and believes that that is it. I know that Tiger's a friend of yours. I know you've played golf with Tiger, and you've also played with President Trump. Do you believe that we've seen the last of Tiger winning a tournament or a Major, or do you think there's more in there? and that maybe this knee injury that we just had some, some scoping done on the knee in the offseason, will we get a more competitive Tiger back next season?
1: I, I think we can. I was a, a doubter a few years ago that, that he'd ever compete again the, the way he was going. Uh, when McIlroy played with Tiger in the final round at the Tour Championship when he won two years ago, when Tiger won, um, Rory said to me afterwards, he says he's never been around a great player that consistently hit his irons to pin high like tiger woods did and when you saw his final few holes on the final nine at the masters this year and and remember the shots that he hit how accurate they were both with uh distance and accuracy it was remarkable especially the iron he hit into the 15th green uh to set him up self for a bird there Uh, on a shot that is no gimme but i I believe that these greatest players like jack nicholas and tiger and rory um they're great because they played well and they endured for a really, really long period of time. So when they get themselves in the competition and Jack did it at the age of 46, when he won the masters in 86, they don't forget those feelings of how to play those last few holes. Um, It's exciting. And and today we talk about the the depth of the young players out there. we talked about Batia before or Victor Hodland or Colin Murakawa uh, Matthew Wolf. I mean, these young guys, Joaquin Neenan, um, spectacular player. I also think that on the other end of the spectrum, we're going to continue to see guys uh, be able to play physically into their forties and even into their fifties. And if I were the, the, the senior tour, the Champions Tour, I'd be worried because I don't see Phil Mickelson going, I can't wait to get out there on the senior tour. Um, you know, he, he wants to still find a way to win a U.S. Open. Um, Sam Snead won in his 50s. There's been a number of players, Greg Stallard, Peter Jacobs, and Ray Floyd that won in their 50s. Uh, and the, these players, you, know, you lose, lose a little bit of identity once you get to the Champions Tour. And certainly, um, they're not going to be financially motivated to go play right. senior tour golf.
2: You know, speaking of greatness and, and, and speaking of being really good and winning for a long time, uh, I know you're a New England guy. And I know that bringing up the Patriots is always a safe conversation. So let me ask you right now here we are three weeks into the season. Patriots are still one of the, there's only three undefeated teams. They're one of them. Are we looking at another Patriots Super Bowl in 2019?
1: <laughs> it's funny how this works. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, a longtime Patriots fan. Before Tom Brady ever showed up, I, I was, you know, sitting in Sullivan Stadium on those metal seats when it was cold. And, um, you know, there weren't many highlights there. Right. Um, no, no, Steve Grogan era, probably, yeah. Oh, Grogan, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, Tony Eason. Tony Eason. It. Right? So th- Doug Flutie. <laughs> <laughs> he had a drop kick. Um, so wh- what's amazing is after two games, they were talking about undefeated season, and, and you watch the struggle in Buffalo. Um, the Patriots always find a way to win, and, and they did it offensively, offensively, uh, a couple of years, they've done it defensively the last few years, uh, what they've done so far this year with a, you know, a, a team that's in a little bit of shambles. They've had two of their offensive linemen, um, go down for the year. Dave Andrews, their center is out. Isaiah Wynn, who was their starting left tackle is out again on IR. Um, so they patchwork everything together. Uh, they had Antonio Brown in for, you know, a quick second. Uh, and so, so there's always drama, uh, Injuries last year, suspensions with Edelman, uh, Gronkowski gone. Um, But somehow they find a way um, to put themselves in a chance to win every time they play. And I don't think there is anybody on the planet like Bill Belichick that can figure out strengths and weaknesses of another team. And I know, I say we because I feel like I'm part of the Patriots empire, are so despised by everybody, uh, whether it's... (laughs) The different things that Belichick's done, um, spying on other teams. <laughs> it's how he treats the media. Right. I, I get it. Tom Brady, they they win a uh, their first game against Pittsburgh you know, by 30 points, and he's saying we, we could do a lot better. Uh, that pisses everybody off. But at 42 years, years old, he still wants to get up early in the morning and be the first guy to the stadium.
2: Right. That's awesome. <laughs> You know, I, I said
0: this before we had you on, Brad, the Patriots to me are like, you know, or, or maybe turning around, uh, Brooks Kepka is like golf's version of the Patriots to me. So he, just, he, just, he just, you know, he sort of has this polarizing uh, viewpoint, uh, viewpoint, and um, yet he just keeps winning, you know, big tournaments. Patriots keep winning Super Bowls despite, uh, you know, no matter what's going on, whether it's... Antonio Brown controversy, Spygate—you uh, name it—they uh, just keep winning.
1: <laughs> definitely, and I think Belichick, when he first got to New England, he had he had been the Browns' coach and, and tried this strategy or tactic of, of not ever giving anything to the press, and it didn't work because they were terrible. Uh, the Browns yeah, were it terrible. It works when you're good, just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, he, he got, I think one of his first seasons with the Patriots, he got asked a question by one of the female reporters and something happened soon after that, where it got out and he just said, you know what, I'm done. I'm not answering any more questions for anybody. So I don't even know why they have press conferences because every writer there could write what they want anyway, without any of his quotes. <laughs> Unless you're talking well, about thanks. history of certain players he's not going to be very responsive right
2: brad thank you so much for your time
1: you guys great talking to you um i appreciate the support you're giving us uh with this Bahamas strong pro-am and you know if if anybody wants to go and check it out there's a donate page there and and go to abacorescuefund.org and uh see the tragedy of what's happened Uh, some of the pictures are just uh, it's incomprehensible what happened there
2: Yeah, you can follow Brad on social media. He's on Twitter, at Brad Faxon, on Instagram, at B Faxon. You can get all the information there. You can see what's going on. I just saw your uh, Instagram story you posted today with the uh, plywood through the tree. That's what 185 mile per hour winds does, and that is what they're trying to recover from in the Bahamas. Brad Faxon and many others doing their part to help. Brad, thank you for your time and really appreciate all you're doing. You guys, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, so Brad Faxon, thanks so much uh, for your time, Brad. Uh, once again, any information you'd like about the Pro-Am, it is at www.bahamasstrongproam.com. But yeah, Brad's a huge uh, New England Patriots fan. Uh, but, I Brian, I think you and I, we're more college f- – I mean, listen, I- I'm a Buccaneers fan. Uh, we scored 55 points last week. Uh, we probably won't score 55 <laughs> points the rest of the season combined um yeah
0: are you a Denver Broncos fan and we're still looking for that first uh first victory
2: of the year Minshew mania bit you in the ass on Sunday
0: listen I just hope they lose the rest of their games now get a real quarterback in there get you know tank for two let's let's do it no
2: I I think the Dolphins are trying to do that as well
0: yeah well yeah they're but, it is, yeah, so there'll be a nice competition between the Dolphins and the Broncos for that for that pick.
2: But speaking of college football now, I know going back a couple of weeks, we are five uh, five games in to the college season. Uh, you and Billy Horschel had a wager on the Florida Gator. Oh, yeah, I was waiting to see how long this would take to be brought up. Yes, go ahead. The, the, the Canes and the Gators played that week zero game. Um, and I was there, and I I remember walking out of that stadium with a, with a Gator victory. So – don't you owe Billy Horschel a dinner somewhere? I,
0: I, I may owe, I may owe Billy a, a dinner at uh, the restaurant of his choice um, yeah this this coming season so um, you know that that did not I, it's hard for me to even talk about it quite honestly because I had high expectations uh, for the canes they were there were mixed expectations um, but yeah. you know they played well during that game. They're, They're not good. And no, they they've got they've they've got a ways to go. They've you know they play Alabama in a couple of years to open the season, in, in I think twenty uh, twenty one I believe. So got a little bit of work to do between now and then to be competitive in that game. Um, it, it's tough. It's 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 been a rough go since that rousing victory against Notre Dame in twenty seventeen here in Miami.
2: Yes, yes, um, that was a long time ago. Now the Gators have had a good yeah. uh, a good start to the season. We beat Miami. Uh, we beat UT Martin, we beat Kentucky, we beat University of Tennessee, we beat Towson, but now we get the real schedule we've got. Yeah, I like how you just sort of slipped in. That's been a great start. We beat UT Martin and
0: and Towson. Yeah,
2: that's, I'm
0: glad Listen, you were able to, to you, hang on to those
2: games. you got to play your schedule, but, uh, but now we pick it. up and we play uh, Auburn this week, then we've got LSU on the road, then we've got South Carolina on the road and Georgia in Jacksonville. So our schedule's about to get really tough. We're about to find out exactly who we are uh, three of the next four weeks.
0: Yeah, and I, I think you're going to find out that uh, there's there are teams like Alabama, and Clemson, and LSU, and Georgia, and then there's everybody else. And, and right. Florida would be in that everybody else category. Just, you know, it, it really is. It's become – college football is, is become, uh, there's quite a chasm of uh, between the top, say, three or four teams, whatever, wherever you want to draw that line. Right. And the rest of uh, college football. Now, look, certainly the Gators beat Miami. Uh, Miami's got a ways to go between the, before they're um, probably at the same level, uh, or at least consistency as Florida. But um, it, it really is about, the top three or four teams, and everybody else. There's seems to be, to me, at least a pretty big gap there.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously Clemson uh, did not play well against North Carolina, but I think Clemson, Bama, maybe Georgia you could put in this scene, but but Georgia every year seems to get there and then they can't finish. I think Auburn's a lot better than people realize they are, and I think we're going to find that out on Saturday. Um, but right now, believe it or not, I think the best team in the country is Ohio State. Well, yeah, you could put
0: them in the conversation, but to me, it's it's, it's no one's as good as Alabama, and and that's um, you know we're, we're going to have whoever it is pick your your four teams, whatever those four teams are going to be. Um, I don't think there's going to be, in other words, not going to be an argument for a fifth team. Um, you're not because to me, there's there's just going to be that gap between the top three four teams in the country. Uh, and everybody else.
2: That's what's unbelievable is how long Nick Saban has been able. And remember, he has to re- constantly replace coaches because they go get other jobs. Kirby Smart at um, at Georgia. He's got uh, Pruitt at Tennessee, who's not doing well. He'll be available real soon if he'd like him back.
0: Dan you know, at, at uh, Miami, the quarterbacks uh, right. coach at, at last year, and, and now the offensive coordinator for for Miami. But, yeah, uh, yeah, it doesn't seem to matter. Well, well, look, when you get the best players, you know, then that's what happens. You you can afford to lose
2: coaches. Unbelievable. Once again, if you want to help in the Bahamas and uh, be a part of the Pro-Am, it is going on in Palm Beach on October 8th. Get all the details at BahamasStrongProAm.com. A big thanks to Brad Faxon for coming on the program. We will talk to you again soon, and uh, we'll find out where... Billy Horschel will be eating his fine dinner on Brian's dime thanks to the Florida (laughs) Gators, hopefully on the next playing through podcast. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon.